Hello everyone, I'm your host, George Goodwin, a fourth generation grocer and co-founder. Welcome to Grocery Pulse, where we transform the world of retail and grocery one cart at a time. The podcast is brought to you by Retail Metrics, a cutting edge software created by grocers for grocers, with one goal in mind, to enable your success. At Grocery Pulse, we're not just about grocery store insight. We're all about improving your operations. Get ready for some enlightening conversations with industry experts that will fine-tune your grocery game. Hey everyone, it's George back for uh, another episode with Grocery Pulse. Super excited to bring on a new guest. I'd love for you to introduce yourself. Paul, could you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, George, uh, thanks for having me. My name is Paul. Um, I'm with Super Global Mart. We're an international grocery in uh, North Carolina, in the Carolinas area. We've been in business for about, since 2008. So it's been almost 15 years. Um, and then we have, currently have three locations. And uh, yeah. It's super exciting to have like a retailer on Grocery Pulse. And, you know, I think our thought process uh, just even prior to the recording was kind of like tapping in and navigating the the world international grocery stores, you know, the ones that kind of bring specialty products to their community, but then also, you know, meeting that demand of like the international, like figuring that out. And it, it kind of sounds really exciting. Like if you could break down like a little bit how your family got into the industry, just some background. I think that'd be super cool to hear. I've gotten to hear it, but I think it, it's definitely it's definitely unique. So I actually got involved because of my mom. So my mom has a accounting background. I grew up in Greensboro, North Carolina. It's about an hour and a half north of here in Charlotte. While I was in school, you know, she wanted to kind of go back to work. She just picked up an accounting job for Super Goldmar at the time. I think it just opened. I left. I went to college. We uh, worked abroad, came back. And while during that, she was there. She kind of moved up the ranks to um, chief financial officer. And then the CEO and president at the time kind of wanted to semi-retire. And since my mom's been with them since the beginning, naturally, they offered her her option to um, buy out his portions. Honestly, she wasn't really very excited about it because she knows numbers. She doesn't know the grocery side, the products and all that stuff. But um, I saw a good opportunity in it. She called me while I was in South Korea. I spoke with her. I told her, hey, if you can uh, hold the fort down for about a year, let me finish up what I'm doing here, and then I'll kind of come back and see what we can do. That being said, I don't have any background of grocery before that. And um, after I joined was 2014. So what kind of appealed to me was the interest of, you know, food is essential pretty much you know even even during the pandemic it was considered an essential business we were allowed to stay open but yeah. i also feel like food is kind of a gateway for a lot of families or just even new friends and new connections to just mingle over connect over or share a common ground so i was just kind of interested in that i wanted to kind of be in there firsthand and nine years ago and then i'm still here <laughs> yeah and i think like kind of wanted to touch back i think sometimes we don't realize like how important food is but yeah, it was, it was essential during COVID. Nowadays, it's like during recession, it's food is recession proof. Like people always have to go grocery shopping. They may not go to restaurants, but, you know, whatever the, the demand is, but that, that's pretty cool. I think like sometimes, you know, you hear different markets occur from like the families, you know, stepping into new roles. What's kind of been that, you know, meeting that demand? I mean, it sounds like you guys import food from South Korea and different locations around 
And uh, mm-hmm. you guys also support vendors. You kind of treat yourself almost as a wholesaler. I don't know. Mm-hmm. You've something really cool that as family business owners, like my family's grocery store, we support other family businesses. And, and it was mm-hmm. kind of unique, you know, how if you want to tap into that wholesale slash like mm-hmm. meeting the demand of the, the community with food, I think that's kind of unique as well. Yeah. So like you, like you said, we are a family business because... My mom was involved and then I joined and then uh, my brother joined two years ago when I joined because I kind of wanted to be hands on instead of being more of a kind of like a management role. I stepped in as like, you know, assistant in the seafood department. Uh, I was merchandising. I was setting up. I was doing inventory checks and all that stuff. And then because it's a family business, you know, like we don't have a switch to turn off when we go home. We have to constantly worry about this, brainstorm about how we can improve on it. Going back to community, that's kind of what was our our main reason of starting Super G Mart, the president, and when our family joined too, was we wanted to deliver to the ethnic communities, also the minority communities, or just like all these different communities that are around us that wanted that kind of a essential or international ingredient or that from back home to bring the flavors home. Because, you know, for myself too, I'm a second generation. I might not have grown up on the food that my parents grew up on, but, you know, there's a lot of soul and just heritage into the food, so... We we're just kind of sourcing all that because of that. Definitely, our vendor and our the way we proceed is very different. We don't have like one or two major wholesale grocers. We do have like for our Latin section, we have over thirty vendors. All our stores are mainly kind of distinguished by regions. So each store will have a European, kind of German, French, or your uh, like Turkish, all those kind of foods. And then we have South American aisles, Asian, which is like. East Asian, like South Korea, Japan, China. And then we have the Southeast Asian, like Vietnam, Thai, Cambodia, all those foods. Then we have our African foods and then our general U.S. foods. So our stores, because of that, the U.S., we can kind of go get it done with maybe, you know, three, four vendors, one major vendor, and then like bread, dairy, all that essential. But the other regions are where we have multiple vendors where, like you said, relationship is key. We have to maintain a good vendor relationship. Kind of going back to the point of what we do is, when we move into a market, we don't want to be kind of monopolizing. We don't want to take over all the business in the area. What we kind of the community value is important is we know that there are a lot of mom and pop stores that have been doing what we've been doing for the community for a long time. Just like, you know, small like gas station or small, like, you know, hole in the wall stores. So what we do is when we are able to bring in big vendors, we ask them that they're able to distribute to small vendors because we know that Previously, they weren't able to bring a truck here or a route here because of the volume that they had. Obviously, we're guaranteeing our volume plus these smaller market volumes so that it's worth it to have a route. And we do two options. We either ask our vendors to, like we said, just pick, hey, pick them up, even if they're not, you know, your typical clientele. Or we tell them, hey, if we get them, if we get their order on ours, well, can we, so to say, you know, do consolidate ordering, get, get better pricing for them so that they're not struggling having to like go buy our retail price and have to put a margin on that and sell it because that won't benefit either of us in a sense. So that's key for us. And then, yeah, so community is definitely the foundation for us. Family is, yeah, family too, but yeah. I think that's so cool because it's like you're going in or building your new store, but you're also supporting even the smaller retailers that are in your space mm-hmm. i didn't know you guys tailored to so many ethnicities that's so cool yeah. i like i didn't know you guys had you know european even african and mm-hmm. uh southeast asia or, or that's really cool to hear um makes me want to go to your store i feel like it's a little, little like 
might be more of a museum for me or something. Yeah. <laughs> and I want to pick and choose, like try all these different, like instead of going to that country, I can just get like a little sample. Your stores are pretty big. So I'm yeah. kind of curious, like how do you guys, you know, for like my family stores, we have a few different sizes. We have like a 10,000 square foot grocery store. That's more of like a convenient health food store. But then mm-hmm. we have like a larger one. Sometimes you know, we're actually rebuilding and constructing it, but I'm curious, like, how have you kind of played around with like the real estate? I know you guys with one of your stores, you guys have like even brought in smaller, like boutique vendors or like, I know Mm -hmm. if it's like a flower shop or like a boba shop, can you kind of share that experience? I think, I think my brother really, like I told him I was talking to you and he's like, Oh dude, I want to hear kind of like what that was and how do you support that kind of like that growth? I know we're built, we're rebuilding one of our largest stores and we have some mm-hmm. space that we're mm-hmm. like, well, maybe we could try to do something with it. But I'm kind of curious, like what stepped you into that realm and then how's that going? I think it naturally occurred for us. So our first store in Greensboro was actually kind of built almost the same time we started business. A real estate investor was building a, uh, a shopping center and he kind of wanted to be like the international, like drive or the road of Greensboro. Greensboro is not that demographically diverse, but they just kind of want to have all those all those stores coming in one section, so to say. So we were kind of an anchor as they built it. It's about 50,000 square feet, just a typical grocery store, I think, for any area. But what we did there, kind of we started was, because we're in a shopping center, we had, not under our management initially, but there was these small shops like, you know, 300 square feet to like 600 square feet. We were just kind of contributing the idea of what can we bring in here so we can bring the foot traffic and or the traffic here, not just for our customers, but also for these markets. So what we did there was we had the typical like flower shop. We had um, Asian people nowadays, I think in general, but there's the massage chairs, there's the uh, hair salons and all that stuff. So we kind of had that where if you're growing grocery shopping, you can pick up your essentials, but you can also get your hair done before you go home. Or the kids have like, you know, almost that like, was it the merry small merry-go-round or arcade games while mom and dad have to you know go pick up dinner. So oh, nice. we did that with our newest store. So our first store was 50,000. Our second store was 51,000. Our 51,000 square foot store is where I am right now. What we did was about 40,000 of that is grocery space. About 6,000, I want to say, is about maybe 5,000 is about a food court area where we have three restaurants. We have a Hong Kong style bakery, a dim sum restaurant, a Korean dish, and then one retail space, like we said earlier, about the um, massage chairs, like eight, the international cable TV boxes, and all that stuff. So, and before we had a post office too, because I mean, like our customer base. A lot of these times the customers have to, you know, for general customers, it's like, you know, I'll drop off my mail or I'll I'll send a package while I'm at the grocery store. Secondly, it was also kind of sending packages back home or with like also like money, money transfer, like Western Union, all that stuff. We had to have an option for our customers to kind of get, like I said, just get all the errands done in most minimal you know, routes as it could. Our newest store, I think we talked about at the last show where we, where we kind of met up is our latest store. It took a long time. Uh, we were delayed for almost two years because of the pandemic and just construction and all those costs. But uh, it's our largest store. Footprint-wise, it's about 108,000 square feet. So we stuck wow. with the grocery store about 55, 60,000 square foot wow. with about wow. two or three retail stores. We have like a Korean cosmetics store. We have a K-pop like CDs and all those like trading card stores. We have the 
anime culture store. And then um, the food hall is um, our expansion where instead of like our Charlotte store, we have three restaurants, this new food hall where um, we have about 12 spaces, 12 to 14 spaces, depending on how they're going to break it up, but just international restaurants and kind of going back to your, your, what you mentioned, uh, what we was important for us wasn't bringing in those like national franchises, but also kind of going back to communities where there might be a food truck that is kind of ready to build a brick and mortar store. Or we had those like in the, let's say in the uh, certain ethnic community, this household is really popular for making really good sandwiches or something like their traditional sandwiches. Well, we're like, Hey, you know, like we want to give you the platform to share that with other people too. Why don't you come and open up a shop? And we taste tested it, but of course we don't have anything to compare it to, but we just thought, you know, it will be great for other people to try this too. And not just people that, you know, like, you know, your text message friends or something. So that's the other thing. And then um, we're kind of bringing in the, because we're international, we're working with um, something new is we're working with like uh, alcohol distributors too, to bring in like different drinks, like Chinese beer. Like there's a, there's that's like a, almost a vineyard from India that we've never, like I've never purchased personally drank wine from India, but we just thought it was different enough. Like, Hey, you know, what the heck, try something new. So we're, we're trying to do a lot of that. The other reason, kind of the reason we did that, especially during the pandemic was, is as you you saw firsthand, um, you know, we're essential business, but a lot of delivery and just like brick and mortar stores weren't really a necessity anymore. It's kind of hard to keep the stores open and keep the customers coming in, even when the pandemic was loosened up. So we just thought that there has to be other options where we can mutually benefit. Like we said, these smaller stores will benefit from the general traffic we bring in, but we'll also benefit in a sense where customers aren't like, I'm just going to a grocery store. Like, hey, we'll get dinner while we're there or we'll, let's pick up some some Asian desserts like mochi donuts or just like these like uh, boba tea, like is a brown sugar boba tea or milk teas. So just kind of being able to gift experience in a sense like you know it's not just pick up your stuff go home but it's like you know we want them to linger we want them to hang out if they have a drink in their hand you know they're more likely to spend a little bit more time walking down the aisles than just rushing to all three registering going home so yeah that's so cool because it it makes it i i mean i think right now when we're building our new story it's like how do we improve the experience how do you make you know how do you stand out and i think that's a good point with like online shopping or or like not becoming as necessary when people can shop on their phone but how do you stand out and it's bringing in those unique products like whether it's the wine from india that someone wants to just try it out or brings in that that customer that's from uh india or you know diversifying your your categories or your selection mm-hmm. online it's pretty hard to get probably things from different countries shipped directly mm-hmm. to you from those countries. But if you can have a store that could not only just have their online store in the store, but also get it in person. I've been actually going through this little struggle where it's like, I like shopping online and I'll try to do the orders, but then I want it like right now. And lately I have not been getting the two day shipping. It's taken like a week. Mm-hmm. So like, I'd rather just go to my local hardware store and get the product. Cause I'm fixing up my house or I need those ingredients. I've tried to order, but then I'm like, you know, I'm just down the street. So I think it there is that kind of balance. And I've noticed lingering a little bit more. I recently did a hot pot with some friends. Mm-hmm. Okay. It was a fun experience, but it made me more excited to go grocery shopping because you can't find a lot of those items online. And I mm-hmm. had to do like 
ethnic stores or international stores. And so that was a really unique experience. Getting the little flavor of like the different cultures and getting, I think overall, just wanted to point out, I think one thing we're focusing in is on experience. And I feel like that's something that you're pushing with the community is, you know, they can get the they can get their restaurant needs. They could get you know their massage chairs. But that's cool. Have you played around with the real estate within the market? Does that also kind of like, I don't know if this is too much information, but like, I know like, does that kind of offset a little bit for like the lease? Because like now it's like that helps you. Because I mean, like grocery space, it, sometimes it's 10% to 50% markup. In that space, it's very small markup, usually like 20, 30%. So I mean, like that kind of probably helps a little bit with the finances. Have you guys become more of like a real estate agent now or like recruiting to like people to um, open up their restaurant? Or is it kind of just a nice balance so you can manage both sides pretty easily? To be completely honest, I think it's a trial and error for us. It's a learning experience for us. So on the grocery side, what helped us was instead of being able, having to cover all the rent for the whole 108,000 square foot, we're able to kind of like sublease it out to these tenants where even if it's very low minimum rent, it still contributes to our total rent that we have to pay. Um, like you said, and either way, bringing in traffic, you know, it helps them raise their income. It helps us raise our revenue as well. Kind of, I forgot to add on to that was one thing we wanted to make sure was that not everything we do is very money. Like, you know, we're not trying to do all business. So we do like for our new store, we do have a dedicated community lounge area where we're not charging anyone. Uh, we wanted to open up to the community where if they needed a meeting meeting space, it has, I think it fits about like 30 people, like chairs and tables. And we have like a whiteboard and um, also we're kind of always improving on it. We're going to put a projector in or one of those slanted like mirrors on the ceilings for the cooking classes. Cool. We've already done cooking classes using our ingredients. So we'll get like, a, like we said, the food truck. Yeah, they'll park outside. They'll put signs that say, hey, we'll be open starting 2 p.m. till 5. But these guys come in at 1 p.m., let's say, in our store, in our in our community lounge. We advertise it for them a week before. And they'll actually teach you how to make some of the stuff that they're selling on their food trucks. You know, they're like, this is how you make it. So we've had people like, because even that, I think there's a lot of places that charge it. In the beginning, we didn't charge at all. We actually kind of donated the ingredients because we wanted people to experience it, like you said, like, it's kind of hard. Like I know, I know you're experimenting with hot pots and stuff, but if you don't know what it tastes like, you don't know if you want to add this to a whole meal. You know, like what if that little one ingredient messes up everything or something? So we yeah. want people to kind of learn, experiment, and experience mostly. So by doing that, like you said, so kind of also sticking with our values of giving back to the community, providing a resource or providing a venue for them to kind of explore or expand the horizons of what they know. And what can they expect what they can experience so i think that in real estate like you said it helps us it's a trial and error definitely because there's options like where you build out everything and you just collect rent but then for us it was more like we can do that and on our side it'll be more costly in the beginning but then in the long run it's more like but that's not really a space that's catered for your needs like the vendor's needs or the retailer yeah. needs we're saying that we're willing to, you know, give you free rent for a couple of months for during construction, or we're willing to kind of cut it down a little bit. And it'll be more money for you, but at least you're not stuck with the cookie cutter space. You can build out the space that you want. And in the back of our mind, it's also kind of, that kind of gives us the opportunity to say, hey, you know, this space is made for you. Like you built it the way you want it. It's like, it's your own home. 
we would like you to stay here longer instead of, you know, people just kind of coming in, coming out, like just rotating out. So kind of shows also, I think, that they have a place where they can really stick it out for a while. And then, I mean, so be it. If they're if their business booms and they're, you know, they're able to go to a bigger space outside our, our food hall, then that's great for them. You know, we'll be cheering for them. But until then, at least they're able to, you know, not have to commit too much. So yeah, I think that's so cool because you're presenting opportunities to other smaller retailers, you know, you're you're sticking with the community, you're sticking with, you know, if someone in the neighborhood has some good recipes and wants to open, yeah. you know, you're that supporting guide for them. And I think that's really interesting because with my family's grocery store, I think the more people I talk to in this space, I realize, you know, the family owners that of the independent grocers, we're not like money hungry. We're really just like, we want to support our community and build up yeah. our community. My family's grocery store, we, we're we a health food store, but we focus mm-hmm. pre- predominantly on supplying like we don't have the big organic brands. We don't have Horizon Milk. We don't have Horizon Cheese. We don't have Pepsi. We don't have Coca-Cola. We don't have like the Nestle oh, organic product. We try to support a lot of the local organic products that are from Southern California. So we have Mm -hmm. Alexander milk and it's like a dairy farm that, you know, the family owns it still and they still operate it and they focus on the quality of the dairy farm versus like max profit margins or something like that. Mm -hmm. And I think like, it's pretty cool to see when retailers support what we're doing, we're supporting Mm -hmm. our community. And I think overall, it's really cool to be in a space where we're successful and we're competing but we're also giving a lot back more than the the Kroger or the huge corporate companies, but by our small offerings and, and our support to our local community. We're coming up on time. I think this conversation would probably go for a couple more hours. I like talking to you, Paul, running into you with, at trade shows and things like that. But I'm just curious, is, is there any less, I guess, like your advice to aspiring grocery owners? It's pretty cool. Like your mom got you into this. Sounds like, you know, you're in this environment. So you're kind of like a second generation. I'm a, I'm a fourth generation grocer. Yeah. It's a lot of work. Like before the call, you're like, yeah, I have to work this coming Saturday. Even when you leave work, your phone is constantly buzzing. I want to say, keep it up. Good job. <laughs> but what's your advice to, you know, aspiring grocery store owners or people just in our space that are similar like you? Well, first off, I think, I mean, if there are aspiring grocery owners, I think that's great. Like, I mean, as you and I both know, the grocery industry itself isn't really considered sexy in the, you know, field of jobs. Our margins are, our profit margins aren't that high because, you know, we can't do it, especially independent grocers too. We're not dealing with the big brands. We're dealing with kind of the essentials for everybody to have, you know, to keep food on the table, so to say, and supporting local farmers, like, you know, we're not going to buy from them cheap and then sell it for a high margin or anything. So, but I think the most important thing, same thing with you guys having your vision of your, your motive for what your market's supposed to be doing is just kind of sticking with your values and your core, you know, why did we get into this? You know, what, what else can we provide into this? Uh, I think a lot of times we say, you know, keep to your key, um, your points, so to say, like for me, like I said, I, I joined grocery industry because to be honest, like when my mom first joined and she told me, hey, I'm going to be working at a grocery store. And she had jokingly say, hey, maybe later, you know, after you graduate, you can come here. And I was like, I'm going to a four-year university. You know, I don't really think groceries going to be on the top of my list to be doing. But then I've been in, in so to say, in a corporate world. And I'm, I just kind of saw that 
for me, my personality is I need to be there, like rubbing shoulders with people, just like meeting them, smiling, getting to know them first name basis, and just kind of, so to say, the return on that was a lot larger for me than the paychecks that I wanted to get it, so to say. Money will come, I think. I mean, if you're really into it and it's you're really true to it and you know you 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 live and breathe it i think money will come in a different way however you want it you know your your reward will be there um but just grocery in general or any any food related i think it's great that um i think a lot of university from i think last time we had a conversation they do a lot of programs for retail management or retail like you know training executive all that stuff so there's a lot of great organizations out there a lot of resources trade shows like you said that you can, it's a learning experience. I don't think you have to commit to it so much. Just kind of keep an open mind. Even in the grocery industry, I think you can speak for yourself, but not everything is just, you know, being a cashier. You know, there are people that are merchandising, like finding products that customers will like, trying to find a way to introduce that to people, get people a healthy lifestyle. There's NGA, the Independent Growth, National Growth Association that does a great thing. Like, you know, they're trying to get people to eat healthier. So there's, I think they've partnered with like, was it like insurance companies, health insurance companies, where instead of, you know, spending so much money on pharmaceuticals, it's like, you know, SNAP benefits, like, you know, eat healthy produce, just as great of a, you know, resource for your body to, you know, kind of fight itself and, you know, just live longer, you know, we're in a generation where, you know, now expected lifespan is going to be 120, 150, you know, would you rather spend that end of the life, you know, being sick and fragile, or would you rather be out there you know swinging a golf club and just you know living it up so paul i just wanted to say it's always nice talking to you i really appreciate what you said stick to your key values what you're good at opportunities will always present himself always have an open mind but i just also wanted to say good job paul keep it up <laughs> keep running your family operation and uh i'm looking forward to chatting again again this is grocery pulse just a, a podcast supporting other retailers and grocers And thanks for tuning in. Thank you, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to the episode of Grocery Pulse. I'm your host, George Goodwin, and I hope you enjoyed our insightful discussion. Be sure to explore our weekly blogs and stay tuned for our engaging podcast episodes. Share the grocery love with your fellow retailers and grocers. And don't forget to hit the like, rate, and subscribe button. Together, we'll take the grocery world by storm one basket cart at a time.